Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Petko! Hey! Great. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> you know, it's great having you on this podcast and uh, with, with some great guests, great guests here and talking Absolutely. about not just cybersecurity, but how do we, you know, stay clean and compliant right. and everything that has to do with maintaining, you know, our hygiene and our cybersecurity. Seriously. Yeah. I love the compliance topic, too. So I am so excited for today's guest. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Brian Hayjost. He is the founder and COO of Steel Cloud. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, really look forward to today. So where to start? I mean, I think, do we want to open with the big reveal? Because I, I love that you've kind of coined this term, compliance bill of materials. And I, I think that's a kind of a nice opening up point to Let's talk about what that is, because I think a lot of people have heard of software bill of materials. Um, but when we come to the compliance topic, I mean, this is this is meaty stuff here that, that you're talking about. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. We can jump in. Well, let, let me first start with, uh, you know, everything that's worth talking about is, is solving a big problem. So yes. let's start with what the big problem is. You know, for 20 years, um, We've tried to marry up the compliance and cyber world, the people responsible for that with the operational world, the more IT side. And both camps really aren't very well connected. And we do a lot of work in, in RMF and in, in building and approving all of the things that we want to happen once it goes into operation, how we're going to maintain a system. It gets put in a book and uh, is never looked at again. Um, many times, and uh, the system's put into operation and doesn't, isn't, the things that are determined in the RMF process aren't actually implemented in the, uh, in the production process. And then we have all kinds of assessments. We're scanning for all kinds of things. We're building big databases and dashboards, and we're trying to correlate what's happening in the IT world with what we think should have happened in the compliance world. And we keep trying to build better dashboards and scan for more information. <laughs> and we haven't fixed the problem. So um, we at Steel Cloud kind of took a look at this and said, well, if we haven't fixed it after 20 years, it must be a fundamental issue. Yeah. And the, the fundamental issue, and it's really a frustration that has been voiced by a lot of folks on the compliance side is, you know, they spend all this time building the book, they put it on the shelf, and nothing happens with it. Right. So CBOM or... Um, um, Compliance Bill of Materials really is taking the machine uh, enforceable or the machine scannable things that come out of RMF. Those could be certainly all of your CIS or state controls. Um, th those are the big things in terms of numbers, but other things, uh, the software stack, things that can't be there, things that can be there, ports and protocols, uh, any of the things that were approved, waivers, mm -hmm. uh, and it puts them in a basic list, right? These are the things that we expect right. production uh, to implement for production to manage. And when we get reports back, we want them in this format. Well, right. you know, a list doesn't create automation. So 
uh, automation is you take the list and you create compliance as code. And so if out of the RMF process, you can create compliance as code that will stand up and enforce all the machine uh, enforceable uh, and scannable um, items, mm -hmm. then the reports back naturally um, one correspond and correlate with the things that were decided. So, you know, the big issue that we're looking at is how do we go? And we've done a lot of work with Exacta, uh, with CSET, uh, some work with CSAM and with EMAS, the big government um, processes that manage RMF, and simply popping out a list, creating compliances code, and then driving mm -hmm. it into production. Doing all mm -hmm. that with little or no human intervention. That creates then a closed loop between RMF, the operational organization, back to RMF. So operations are enforcing what's in RMF. Operations are uh, reporting back uh, scanned information, uh, you know, monitoring information back basically in the exact same format. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's that's really what CBOM and is it, again is a concept that. Mm -hmm. Uh, we think we'll um, take a great step forward in fixing this problem we've been working on for 20 years. That's crazy, though, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it taking so long? I mean, we just got to keep beating our heads kind of against a wall until like, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. Uh, I Rachel, I, I like this because if you uh, the risk management framework is really the government process for authorizing, allowing all yes. All, your system on the network with to store right. government data. So they get, they're very stringent about what controls are there. But a lot of times, you know, they'll go through, they'll build it, they'll document it. And then you're, you know, a thousand pages in documentation. And someone says, hey, look at all the documentation I created. And then later on, over time, a year later, two years, the, right. the design changes mm -hmm. and it doesn't match what you built. And right. we've got to find that loop of how do we monitor the compliance and what changed? It not in, you know, but at the security control level, at the compliance level, it, it, this really reminds me of software bill materials, Brian, uh, and how, you know, one is for software, this is for, you know, compliance. And so uh, I'm, I'm really excited for what you got your company's yeah. doing here. Um, and there, there is a, there is a cross, there's a, there's a somewhat of a crossover because when you look at a software bill of materials as an inventory, that many times when it's built, you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it, right? right? But uh, some of those elements get translated into the compliance bill of materials in that I've authorized this operating system. That's part of the software bill of materials. I've authorized this version of Java. I've right. authorized um, this other control piece of software. Um, so some of some of what is in a, a software bill of materials will actually be part of compliance because right. you know they didn't authorize it to run on any version of Linux. No, it was Red Hat eight, um, not seven or nine or yeah. Brian, if an organization, let's say, has a software bill of materials and they have this compliance bill of materials, so they have the traceability of the software with the machine learning configuration, all the way up to the NIST controls, wouldn't they be able to kind of not just certify for risk management framework, but say, look, I built this for risk for management framework and NIST, but I can do it for others like CMMC and everything else. So I can do a crosswalk to other standards. Absolutely. When you look at a um, CMMC is a great example because it's and, and kind of in between uh, 853 and CMMC is 171. 
Um, but when you look at it, there's a regimen. There, there are decisions are being made, you know, with you, uh, your consultant, and you, and then eventually your auditor. Of we've met these requirements, and this is how we're doing it. Some of the some of the description of this is how we're doing it is actually um, this is how we're handing our Cisco routers. This is how you know we're we're setting up the, the, these specific applications. This is how we're doing auditing, and and much of that is implemented machine level controls. Um, and these are our application stacks. I mean, you know, the you know the biggest cyber issue is that uh, software shows up on app stack that was never never authorized and does something you don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, so part of the compliance bill of materials is software inventory that was approved, mm-hmm. right? That things aren't showed shown up, and and if they do, the closed loop is if if uh, operations has to install something, they go back through the process and close the loop because they'll be out of compliance. It gets built back in and approved. So, um, yeah, that's the process. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, things like CMMC, you're, again, you're going to have, uh, just like uh, RMF or any other framework, you're going to have decisions that are made, and some of those uh, are machine verifiable, machine remediable. I mean, right. part of what you want to do is fix as much as you can without human intervention. And so, th- go on. I think we, I think, yeah, I think we tend to think of this like always as a government problem. Right. You know, this is risk management framework. It's not my problem. It's the DOD's yeah. problem. It's that other government's problem. But when you look at CMMC, which is the DOD Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. So if you do business with the DOD, which you'd be surprised there's actually a lot of companies that do any business with the DOD. I mean, there's over 300,000 different companies. And I remember when I spoke to some of them, some were, you know, selling food to the DOD. They're a food production. And they literally were asked to, well, show us your DFAR, show us your CMMC compliance. And he's like, I have a factory in the middle of nowhere that just makes, you know, food. And just because I'm selling it to the DOD, you want me to comply. <laughs> well, it, it, it you know d- depending on what level you know it it, it it actually goes down to what level of of information they have. If they have CUI data, if they're delivering food to a classified facility and they have drawing, maybe it's not even classified. Maybe it's just a confidential facility, and they have drawings of the whole base, so they know where to put things. Those drawings are CUI materials. That's why they have to comply because if that information gets physical attack, you know, right. we can imagine all the bad things that happen. Right. So, if, yeah, yeah. if they don't I, want the I, drawing, I a, <laughs> they will, you know, if they don't want to do <laughs> the CMMC, then, then don't accept any CUI data from the government. Right. Yeah, controlled unclassified information. It's, it's interesting how we always think of it as like a government only problem, but there's a way that some of these decisions that get made in government do, you know, come out. I mean, I remember, and again, I would age myself probably two decades ago when the U.S. government came out and said, you can no longer use social security as a unique identifier in your systems. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, imagine being in college and everyone was logging into their college system with their social security number <laughs> as their user ID. <laughs> and they said, Can't, stop doing that. Yeah. That cannot be a user ID. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the state, the state of Virginia uh, quit using a Social Security as your your driver's license ID. I don't know, decades ago, but yeah, you see. yeah, it, it, but that's CUI, right? Like right. If you think about it, and and that was a change that they made just because it's sensitive, and and they said stop doing this. And I think we underestimate 
how much potentially data we have in our systems and we need to be aware of it. And sometimes in order to continue doing business with certain regulated industries, we have to comply and ensure that we don't have a data spill. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, there are certain entities overseas that had a potentially a breach and they were storing license, you know, actual images of licenses in their system, which and they had a breach and they're like, oh, that was, well, why are you storing a license, like a photo of a license? <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, one, I think one of the things we don't realize is data becomes in some way, it wasn't, you know, it's not the, data is not oil. It, it becomes a liability sure. if you have, if you, certain data. So I think, you know, if we're going to have the protecting assets like government data or sensitive data, we also have to have the right controls in place. And I'd love to get your take on just the broader cybersecurity regulations. Am I am I off track thinking it applies to more than just government here? Well, absolutely. There's a couple of things. Uh, one of one of my uh, uh, favorite documents in the, the entirety of the federal government. And I recommend that that any of your listeners uh, probably start with it before reading maybe 853. That's IRS Publication 1075. It is the most readable government document that explains. Cyber hygiene, cybersecurity, RMF 853, and that was a, a government document that was uh, foisted on uh, state and local governments, and then foisted on industry to protect um, taxpayer information uh, on systems to store uh, uh, tax returns. So that is a government kind of to industry protecting consumers. Uh, we had another customer who one of the government agencies required that they stick up their environments housing student loans. Mm. Again, nothing having to do with the government. It was the government protecting the citizenry uh, and the PII information, right. their personal information that they had. Um, CISA, uh, TSA uh, are taking a more active role after the colonial pipeline shut down and the water company down in Florida of protecting critical infrastructure. So this is banking, transportation, uh, energy, uh, a bunch of new regulations coming out um, that will affect those organizations because it isn't government information, it's not personal information, but it's dramatic enough it can affect the economy, which affects everyone. And it is, again, it's the government's responsibility. Just we have a military to protect citizens, Uh, protecting the economy is part of protecting citizens. and we'll see a, a lot of that. Um, you know, federal government is, you know, CMMC is probably the most, um, uh, you know, publicized one of one of the things the government's done to, um, to protect its information. But it's doing a lot of work in secure supply chain and secure development, mm-hmm. uh, uh, foisting regulations uh, on their suppliers to ensure that, um, you know, they don't produce software that, you know, hacks on purpose because it's been breached at the the vendor side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we. I remember seeing that with Solar Winds, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the one we always jump to. A lot of a lot of things, and we are a software supplier, and not only we're we a software supplier, we we are in the definition of critical software, operating at a privileged level, and a lot of that came, you know, out of the lessons learned from Solar Winds. So. As long, this is like incredibly awesome, though. So, would there be what what kind of hesitancy would there be then, Brian, to to an organization kind of coming on board with this with the C bomb? Well, there's there, there's always automation. There's always an automation isn't just automation; it's doing something differently. So, you have right. inertia. 
You know, there's right. a tremendous amount of inertia in the federal government. It's 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 difficult because of, you know, protection. Sometimes Congress is put in place of doing something different and, yes. and maybe not doing the right way. Uh, the other the other issue that we see is that a lot of the budgeting money is programmatically driven toward labor. And, and when you talk about automation, you're talking about, you know, saving money through through, you know, automating things that used to be manual. Right. So you, you have some friction of repurposing money meant for right. people to um, to labor. And you have a lot of organizations that uh, make money off labor. Um, I would say probably three years ago, probably pre-COVID, um, that was more of a factor. It's almost not a factor today. You know, zero unemployment with cyber professionals. Uh, if the customer had the budget, uh, they can't get the people with the uh, inflation that we've seen. Uh, federal mm-hmm. budgets are not keeping up with the inflation of salaries. So right. we see almost zero resistance um, from some of the traditional reasons that people haven't automated. You know, the contractors are looking for automation because they can't find the people and they still have customers to satisfy that right. have budgets that are constrained. So mm-hmm. um, so I would say today, probably the, the inertia is, is the biggest <laughs> You know, people would like to get better. It just is hard to move, you know, a large organization. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, we've had a number of folks here who have served as, you know, CIOs. It's it's some of the big government agencies. And it's, you know, what it takes to kind of move things forward and and get alignment. And it's it's no easy task. (laughs) But it's amazing when it does come together, you know, because you do start seeing these kind of strides forward, which is which is always really exciting and, and very encouraging. And it seems like they're getting faster about it uh, with the government agencies today, which is exciting. Maybe an out, out um, an output of the COVID time when we had to advance digital transformation. Now we're starting to see the benefits, yes, of, of the acceleration. Yeah. COVID did a lot because they didn't have the choice to move slowly, especially with telework <laughs> and that kind of thing. So there were there were a lot of I would say rules broken, but there were a lot. Right. There was a lot of pressure put on the system that uh, a lot of lessons learned. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think what, what Brian, you pointed out something to with COVID, we learned that we can actually move fast. Yes. We don't have to move slow. All yes. those things that say take 12 months, we did it in a month. Right. And they made it happen. I mean, you want to work from home? Well, hold on. We don't have a laptop. Let's get you 5,000 laptops. Oh, what else do you need? Let's get email working remotely because normally it was only in the building. And we right. made it, and they all made it work in 30 days or 60 days. It was impressive. I think the other thing that the government proved to themselves um, is that they can do big things and can do them well. I mean, you do not read about yeah. you know disasters that happened during COVID of, mm-hmm. of well, you can just imagine. No, the, the government actually did a really good job of moving that yeah. quickly. And I think that was maybe a surprise to some people. You know, I think we're having less breaches now in government, at least from what I've heard, right? <laughs> I, maybe so. <laughs> it, it, appear, it appears that way, at least. I don't know. I'm, I'm being positive here, yep. you know, but uh, it's definitely not in the news as often as it used to be. But I think we have other things to focus on. It, you know, I think automating compliance, I think you're right, is, is the way we'll get out of the labor shortage we have in cyber and allow, and allow governments to deploy software faster. So right. it's, you know, because usually they'll say bottleneck is the certification authorization or assessment authorization team and they need, you know, X number of months. 
and, and the, 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 the dirty secret there is a lot of that um, slowdown is they need IT resources that are not in their organization to do all the hardening and testing. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, they can write all the, you know, the essays and they can get the stuff approved, but someone has to do the art of, uh, do the hardening and produce the artifacts. And if you automate it, uh, you know, in the pre-production, then you can move right into post-production and automate it there. So, yeah, yeah moving through um, RMF is a big issue because as they modernize, as they get new security technologies, mm-hmm. they don't get the benefit of them until they get deployed. Right. And, and right. shortening that uh, timeline to get deployed is a, is a critical factor. That's huge. Um, so if, if, if organizations want to start kind of moving towards this, I mean, where do you even start, Brian? I mean... Well, uh, I, uh, a couple of things. Well, you know, we can start on a STIG and we do. I mean, we have government mm-hmm. customers, civilian and, and DOD customers. But, you know, back to we started with CBOM, back with CBOM. Right. Uh, first thing, I, I tell you what Steel Cloud is doing, we're, we're concentrating on the organizations that manage the RMF systems. So this is right. uh, uh, Telos and Exacta, it's uh, um, Justice and CSAM, it's CISA and CSAT, mm-hmm. it's the DOD uh, and EMAS. So I think one of the things that, that the government can do is look at their RMF, RMF processes and then uh, potentially engage to produce uh, a C-bomb. And again, a mm-hmm. C-bomb can be as simple as a Word document with a list on it. I mean, that can right. be a start. But then envision in their own organization if they can reduce that as compliance as code, they can close that loop, Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, the move forward, you got to have a light tower you're sailing towards. So, you know, right. if they can at least do that and then the vendor community, folks like Steel Cloud that can produce the compliance code, the, the uh, RMF organizations like uh, Telos and Exacta, um, you know, they can automate their part of the process. So the government, mm-hmm. the government, when they're ready to deploy, can push the button, produce the loot the list, produce the compliances code and go into production, um, we can do that. But it, it it's multi-parties. It's, it's the right. government in partnership with their vendor community and their services community to move, to move the concept forward and agree upon this is going to close the, you know, this gap we have today. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's seemingly kind of getting, I don't know if siloed the right word, but almost some functional areas talking to each other earlier and more often, perhaps. Like, and I was joking about compliance by design, but it's it's kind of getting these things earlier in the process, right? Where historically we've maybe done it a little bit later. Right. I mean, we're, I'm on, a, I'm on a, uh, uh, a working group for continuous ATO. And, and the only way that works is if, if you have groups that don't typically work together, whether mm-hmm. that's engineering and, and the RMF, authorization side or our authorization side in IT, the, all those gr- groups have to work together if you're right. ever going to affect continuous ATO. I mean, I mean, we have slow ATO. I mean, we could have a little bit faster ATO. We can go to <laughs> continuous. But yeah, it, it does require um, the things to have better coordination and not be siloed mm-hmm. and, and not be discreet. You know, you produce a report, you send it to me, I handle it. You know, I get back to you if I have a problem that, that can't work in any any world where 
things need to go faster. Right. Now, Brian, I think Exacta and even like the FedRAMP PMO, they, they create something called OSCAL, which is for automating the SSP. CBOM is for going deeper, right? Yeah, CBOM is going deeper. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, OSCAL is typically a way a system would communicate back to. So um, I'm talking about uh, the way a system will will enforce, right? That will create rules, not just receive the rules, but create the rules and then automation will enforce the rules, will implement. So, you know, this all goes back to step four of, of the RMF framework, right? Implementation, pre-authorization, implementation is part of the um, uh, ongoing uh, monitoring process. And so, um, yeah, it's it's a... It's a lot simpler than OSCAL because <laughs> OSCAL is really, I mean, it, you can, you can, a uh, cloud formation. I mean, you can describe almost anything um, uh, in, in OSCAL, but, uh, you know, CBOM would be um, more uh, direct machine level things that you can execute. Interesting. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm trying to like absorb all the information, Brian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mind's kind of like, <laughs> I was trying to think, I was like, I, I know yeah. I'm old, but step four, what was step four again? Step <laughs> <laughs> four is implementation. But, uh, but you know, if you look at OSCAL, I mean, in OSCAL may be, I mean, if you push a button, you could describe a C-bomb in OSCAL, but OSCAL doesn't remediate. OSCAL does not define fixing, mm-hmm. Right. And so at some point, you have to translate it into uh, compliances code that can actually go do something. So I'm not sure there's a lot of value in outputting a CBOM in OSCAL, but maybe there is. Um, you know, in, in, in the concept of CBOM, the format of what that is, just like the format of SBOM, it, you know, has to be defined. It would be great if NIST provided a standard output. So every system that does RMF work could output a standard, say, JSON format that, you know, these are the rules that we want you to enforce, right? And then th- that standard format could be brought into a system, compliances code is automatically created, and then enforcement is ensured. So, so then what are the gaps here then? Brian, I mean, it's as as you start automating. I mean, what, where are the checkpoints? And and by that, you know, in in terms of auditing or make sure that you're you're hitting all of the right boxes, what what does that look like? Well, you know, we we brought up some. Um, there there are a lot of things, say in the stigs, that are mm-hmm. uh, judgment calls. Things like you have to vo- have a vulnerability. Uh, assessment program. So there right. are things that you can't. I mean, you can't directly. Uh, address a registry key that fulfills a control, but the larger things you can't, um, you know, documentation issues. So, you know, all of this goes back, when you look at all automation in the cyber world, it goes back to letting the machines do what machines do. So uh, you have people, you have people hours to do the things that only people can do. And there are things that only people can do. You know, patching, there, there has to be some personnel involvement in patching yeah. just because of the testing and the other things. Right. So in order to have enough people to do threat hunting and vulnerabilities from a patching side and all the rest of the slices of cyber, you know, the kind of the meat and potatoes foundation work have to be automated. 
Right. You know, much the way we've automated kind of virus. You know, it's an afterthought. No one thinks about it. Right. It's a base level of hygiene that we apply and then we go and do kind of the real work. You know, a lot of these system right. controls, managing the configurations ought to be something that is automatic. And the configurations mm-hmm. become an even more important component of zero trust because when someone's coming into mm-hmm. They're not coming into the network once. They're coming into it every application area, and they get validated both identity and also configuration. So if you don't have a way to keep those configurations um, up to date and compliant, you're going to have half your workforce in quarantine. Uh, And and so Zero Trust will shine a very bright light on um, where we are in, in compliance. Zero Trust is a very hot topic. It is. It is. uh, (laughs) It's a, yeah, it's an interesting concept. If you look at it and you, you overlay it and map it to 853, it isn't all that different. It's like, you're Mm going to do all this stuff, but you're going to do it at every application area, not at the network boundary. So Mm -hmm. it's, I I don't think it's quite as new as some people would like to, (laughs) you know, Oh, it, uh, it's it's. I think it's been out for over a decade. Yeah. It's just that we keep changing the name yeah. a little bit and changing the focus. And the, is it on the network? Is it the architecture? Is it a principle? You know, it's evolved over the last since yeah. uh, you know '09 or so. But the U.S. government's taking a huge lead, and this has done a great job yeah. documenting what data you need to make good decisions before you give access, and when you do give access, how do you do continuous monitoring of the, the access? Yeah. You know, I. I It's in a way like zero trust is what I built. Your compliance of building materials is how do I maintain what I built and ensure that, you know, we can reuse it eventually is the goal, I think, because we don't I mean, I'm sure the government does not want to be paying for the same system multiple times or the same same authorization assessment team multiple times on the same on the same system. Absolutely. So I'm hoping the CBOM just allows us in the future to simplify our authorization process and so thank you for everything you do there you're welcome yeah how, how can how can our readers and uh, not readers or uh, our audience you know learn more about compliance material and how, what you know how they can automate their compliance we're we're gonna we're gonna have some materials on our website uh, again it is is more of an industry thing it's not a product thing mm-hmm. for us right. so um i'm involved with a uh a working group with um, uh, about continuous ATO. So we'll have output from that in that area. Uh, we hope to be meeting with NIST here in the next uh, 30, 60 days. Um, a lot of it is working through the vendors um, that uh, would output a C-bomb. I mean, it's, it starts right. with if, you, if you've got a RMF capability that can't output a C-bomb easily, then we're, we're kind of – we're kind of stuck. Um, mm-hmm. Although from a, you know, a, a pure STIG or CIS standpoint, we can, we can handle that pre and post authorization, but the rest of the information that would be included in a CBOM really leaning on the vendors. And so, uh, as I mentioned, we will, uh, you know, we are uh, doing our part to, to meet with vendors, the vendors that do RMF work and, and um, kind of socialize the idea with them and see, you know, if there are any blockers on their side or, or, yeah. you know, any areas that they, they think it'd be, you know, enhancements that they could make. Cause you know, for a customer that they ought to, if they bought any, if, 
you know, any technology that does this automation, they ought to be able to push a few buttons and, you know, output, you know, a C-bomb. I mean, it it just, that's how simple it should be. So. Yeah. I love automation. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) I just need Alexa for this. Can we get an Alexa Alexa for compliance? (laughs) Alexa, please authorize the system for me. (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Someday. Someday. We'll be there soon. Someday. Yeah. We'll have enough AI that that'll be possible, you know, after we learn for a century. Yeah, exactly. I hear ChatGTP is going to fix that yeah. for us, too. <laughs> uh, if only. If only. I was reading something that ChatGPT, like, uh, it passed, like, the medical boards or something. I've never really used it, so I, I feel like I've been... I know, I know. I, where have I been? R- R- Rachel, you and I need to have a, a little training session after this. Yeah. So I, I've got a, I've got a gentleman that works for me who's a, a Mandarin native speaker, and uh, he's just fascinated with it because uh, it, for, for him, it's just, uh, you know, wonderful. You know, the English and be able to get stuff. It just. You know, he's fascinated with it, you know, and I guess I only know one yeah. language. If you know two languages, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> that kind of stuff is fascinating. Um, I, I definitely want to try it out. Uh, I'm kind of scared, though. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's like TikTok. Once I dived in, boy, it was whole hog, whole hog, Brian. So uh, you might never see me again. Yeah. Let's take it into the chat. <laughs> uh. Oh, my goodness. OK, so. One final question I do like to ask some of our guests, Brian, and, and given your your history in, in the security industry and we, you know, look at the path ahead and 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 are we ever going to get ahead of these attackers? I mean, we, we're, we're starting to automate things that are very critical. Um, are you feeling positive here, you know, and on the security path ahead or are we going to are we going to get ahead of these guys? Or are we going to keep kind of following them up in the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years? Well, I think I, well. I think we'll get ahead of them in that we'll better prioritize critical things. So you, you mm-hmm. won't see the, 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 the critical things being attacked. You know, you, you may see, and I don't want to make light of a, you know, a credit card right. uh, number dump, but, um, you know, that's not like penetrating, you know, privileged systems that can set up users and can do, you know, all kinds of things. So I, I, I do think that, um, you know, we may not lessen the attacks, but the ta- attacks are going to be more petty crimes and, and less mm-hmm. homicides. Um, right. And so I have, I have a. <laughs> was, that analogy was a little. Uh... OK, well, let me say it over again. Petty crime versus grand larceny. How's that? No smash and grab with, with data. Uh, yeah, so, so, so I think uh, we're we're going to be that. I think industry is uh, we see um, uh, more. Hey, we do it our way. We're special. More standardization. As soon as you do standardization, right. you can do best practices. As soon as you do that, yes. you can take advantage of the hundreds of millions that have been spent over the years. So we see industry coming along, which is which is where I you know, take a, a lot of solace and, and that, you know, they care about a lot of things, but they're, they're more, and they're, they're frankly following the U S federal government, which has been doing yep. this for years and the best practices there. And, you know, hats off to them because, you know, we travel the world 
and um, the U.S. federal government is 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 the beacon for the world and the, the work that they've done in cyber and compliance and cyber hygiene. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we have a, we have a lot of people around the world that are following um, yeah. what what we're doing in the U.S. and primarily you know what the federal government led with. Um, and it's it's been great, you know, just. Uh, so I think for a while, just kind of struggling with the awareness, right, yeah. is is where the the industry was 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 having a hard time, and you know, particularly in in the last several years with the current administration just really championing security and and bringing it front and center. It's been exciting to see kind of how that's also helped you know organizations large and small, um, you know, start better prioritizing security, um, you know, making the budget for it, and and looking at it through this new lens of you know it's part of business today. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. Well, you know, even a small business like Steel Cloud, when, you know, you know, we pour over the presence of EO on cyber. And when we moved into our new space, we organized security. I mean, we put two-factor mm-hmm. authentication on physical doors that we only had wow. single, you know, uh, single factor on. And, and uh, you know, locked our, our um, signing server away in a special place that no one could get to. <laughs> And, That's you know, fantastic. lots of things. So I, you know, I'm sure yeah. Steel Cloud is, is worrying about those, those kinds of things. There's lots of other uh, vendors and contractors that are doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's also, uh, you know, I have to say when it comes to the two factors, sometimes I get a little, little annoyed because I have to find another phone to <clears throat> authorize. So I, I've been a little reticent to do it everywhere, but it's, I got to tell you though, where I do have it, I'm seeing the dividends. So uh, it's just even like the basic things, right? Getting getting everyone on board with that. What a difference that can make. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot, actually. My head's still kind of like reeling. <laughs> but I love it because that's why I love cybersecurity. You know, I, I've been in the industry for a while and every day you learn something new and 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 get to follow the advances forward when, you know, it's been 20 years where we haven't been able to crack the code and then, then you yeah. have this, this opening. And that's, that's why I love this industry. It's so exciting. Can I give you an idea for another podcast from somebody? Absolutely. And I'm not sure I'm the right one. Okay. How do you eliminate drift? It is a question that I ask CISOs and CISOs in my travels and no one has an answer. You know, all, all these controls that we put in place to to control and manage things, and we still have what appears to be uncontrollable drift. So, and you know, we we focus a lot on that from from the the, the cyber and compliance side. Why do you have compliance drift? Yeah. Um, so it's it's just it's one that I'm that I'm fascinating. It really is about IT and IT how they manage themselves mm-hmm. and and. Why can something be perfect yesterday, wait three months and you can't recognize it? <laughs> I had to, I had to patch it. <laughs> well, that, that, that's part of it. It's just the patching process. They do all kinds of other things. Yeah. That, uh, so anyway, I just, uh, it, it is, it's not I like I have this. a secret answer. I, I don't really, it's just yeah. a conundrum you know, because in the manufacturing process, you know, they they they, they program programmatically remove drift from everything. You know, the thousand Chevy has to be just like the first Chevy, and right. it's somehow in the IT and security, it's we drift all over the place. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but Brian, if you think about it, like even remote controls for the Nintendo Switch or the PS5, they've got control drift where, hey, why is my guy going left? I'm not even touching the remote. So I've got to readjust it. it. It's almost the same thing with security. The more complex the software, you know, and, and controllers have, you know, yeah. used to be simple and now they're much more complex. I think we have drift everywhere. We just have to accept it and then monitor for it. Well, let me let me let me give you another real life example that I use. In the olden days, you know, printers. When you talk about uh, printers, would get out of alignment, right? And there would be a, a timer set, and so so many pages, it would send you a message to align your printer, and you go hit a few mm-hmm. buttons, and it would go do something. Right. All the new printers do that themselves. The printer itself recognizes how many pages. It aligns itself. It tells you it's aligning now. You never worry about it again. That's right. the way right. compliance has to be. Not mm-hmm. notifications that cause a person to do something, but self-healing. Yes. And so, again, a lighthouse. Yes. You know, not exactly yeah. sure how to get there. Yeah. You know, CBOM right, helps, right. right? Because we can build compliance as code and we continually automatically bid, bid, bring back from drift. But yeah, the self-healing, right? Self-healing. Self-healing. Yeah. I love it. Well, to all of our listeners it. out there, Brian's laid down the gauntlet. Yeah. So we want to hear from you. Reach out to us if you've got some thoughts here, because I think this is a wonderful discussion. Okay. I think that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> so Brian, again, thank you so much. I do want to be mindful of our time, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this podcast and, and as always, you know, thanks to our listeners for, for joining us yet again. And, and let's remind them, Pecco, what are they going to do? They're going to smash, <laughs> smash, the, smash the follow button, right? Or the subscribe, right, button. the subscribe button. So they get a, this fresh episode in their inbox every Tuesday. So to all of our listeners, and again to Brian, thank you. Thank you. And until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 